This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Lord with Tabletop Genesis. Hola, Ellie here. Hello, Simon here. Hey, it's Stacy. And this is Tom. And we are all around the table today to talk about Peter Gabriel's solo album, So. Simon. Hello. Simon says, let's talk about So. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's a little bit like uh, uh, one of the books uh, in the Bible, so I'm going to actually have to pass this one down a little bit. So, uh, is that the Genesis book? Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie wins. Yes. Okay. So is the fifth studio album by English songwriter Peter Gabriel, released on 19th of May 1986 by Charisma Records. After working on the soundtracks of the film Birdie in 1984, producer Daniel Lanois was invited to remain at Gabriel's home during 1985 to work on his next solo project. Often considered to be his most accessible album, So was an immediate commercial success and transformed Gabriel from cult artist into a mainstream star becoming his best-selling solo release. It has been certified five-fold platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America and triple platinum by the British Phonographic Industry. That's a good day's work. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. The album received positive reviews from most critics who praised its songwriting melodies and fusion of genres, although some retrospective reviews have criticised its overt commercialism. Well, they can go to suck a big one. <laughs> if, if this album is overtly commercial, you know, there's a couple of tracks that are no. good singles, but there's a lot of weird stuff on here, exactly too, right. which we'll talk about. So was nominated for the Grammy Award Album of the Year in 1987, but lost to Paul Simon's Graceland. It has continued to appear in lists of best albums of the 80s and was included at number 187 in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I bet that gets him, girls. <laughs> exactly. Excellent. That's a good summary overview of this album. Uh, where were we when we each heard this album for the first time? Uh, I was 15, and I was about to say 86. Must have been something in the water that year for people who were or had been in Genesis that year. Yeah. I mean, just they exploded mm -hmm. like nothing before in 86. We have So from Peter Gabriel, Invisible Touch from Genesis. I don't know what's happening. But GTR from Steve, let's not forget that. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, he was um, something doing things there, which had a hit. Sure. But it was, it was, this was like Invisible Touch was my introduction to Genesis, so was my big real introduction to Peter Gabriel. I don't recall hearing, I don't remember hearing any <laughs> songs of his previously on the radio, but... What I about think, Shot the Monkey? Did you remember that possibly, from MTV? but it didn't make a... I didn't have Oh, MTV. no cable. Oh, cable. that's a whole other episode in it. So this was it. This was when he came on the... When Sledgehammer came on the radio, I was hooked like every other radio top 40 listener, and... On when MTV, well, actually, this was played on other stations other than MTV. So I saw the hell out of this video, and it just it got me hooked. Yeah. 
and I think it, it like Genesis at one point I finally made the connection that he had been in Genesis and at the time I think I was still getting into Genesis and it just branched out from there and so you told all your friends you know this guy used to be in Genesis Genesis much later yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah it was just I just went back and discovered the weirdness of his older stuff and this was the starting point good I was 14 in Buenos Aires and I was exposed to previous Peter Gabriel material with thank you thanks to my older siblings so I was familiar with Chuck the Monkey and Salisbury Hill and previous albums, but I bought the album later on, not in 1986. I was like four, <laughs> 14. <laughs> no, but I bought it a, year, a few years later or something. So, um, but again, Sledgehammer was on the radio the whole time and uh, In Your Eyes, I think too. I think mm-hmm. those two are the, world, the, world, the most popular, but um, yes. I did get this album when it came out. So I was probably, I was nine maybe, but it was, I got it, bef- I think right before my 10th birthday. And I remember it was actually on a family trip to South Carolina. Wow, okay. And um, I think it's a very to, specific memory. Oh, I, that, it, so you know, it's funny, but, but back then, you know, I, you know, when I'm nine years old, you know, buying an album was a big deal because sure. it's not, you listen to the radio all the time. So back then, you know, the radio did play a lot of variety. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, we didn't have, you know, satellite radio mm-hmm. and, and in streaming stuff. You know, if you wanted to hear music, you put on the radio. Um, and yeah, at the time I heard it was Sledgehammer, maybe In Your Eyes, I don't remember. Whatever the first single was, because yeah. I know it was, if this came out in May, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was... Yeah, really, Sledgehammer was a little earlier than that. Yeah, so, and I remember, I think, yeah, my we were, we were on this trip, and my dad was like, me and my sister were getting Rammy or something, so he took us to a mall, and he said, you guys can pick out one thing each, and this is what I wanted. Um, added to my collection. Because it, you knew that Sledgehammer was on it? Yes. Okay. And, um, of course, like I, I think I've said in previous shows, what, you know, when I, like when I got Invisible Touch and when I got No Jagger Required, I thought that was all they've done. So <laughs> I, you know, for the longest time, that was the only Peter Gabriel I had ever heard. I don't re- remember listening to any of the previous stuff. Although, after I got into him, after, you know, hearing so and getting more into the Genesis catalog overall, I, you know, oh yeah, I recognize that, but... Um, this album was such a soundtrack um, in, in my childhood and, and early teens. Uh, played it constantly, yeah. and I still play it all the time. It still sounds really fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know that I my story mimics Tom a lot, except that having cable and watching MTV a lot, I was familiar with Shot the Monkey. I don't know if I was much familiar with anything else from Gabriel. So when Sledgehammer came out. That the video was weird was not a surprise because Shot the Monkey is kind of a weird video. Just a That's lot of close-ups of one, yeah, a lot of close-ups of screaming monkeys. And but Sledgehammer was fun compared to Shot the yeah. Monkey that was scary. Yeah. So it's just on its face, you're going to get more people kind of going, Oh, look at this, dancing chickens. And kind of go, Oh, yeah, this is fun. This is a good time. So but still, when you think about it, dancing chickens are maybe even weirder than screaming monkeys. Headless chickens dancing in circles. There you go. They're See, it all pole, ties pole. together. That's a pole. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which Pierre Gabriel video gives you the most nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing is with uh, with Peter Gabriel, sort of like you know, for you and I, 
that's deeply creepy stuff for him. That's date night. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so was that video what got you into the album? Sledgehammer, definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the song itself, yes, but the video was so different, yeah. and there were so many things like making of Sledgehammer video, and yeah. like, like there was a lot of promo going on, and it was a great song. Like, now I can actually kind of listen to the song and kind of have it separate from the video, because I probably haven't seen the video in years. But it's but it's still there, and that's what really got it into a lot of people's heads. Mm-hmm. So, how about in the UK? How was it for you, Simon? Did you... I was, I think, 75 years old <laughs> when, um, when it first came out. Um, but uh, at this point, I'd been a Gabriel fan for six years. Sure. I got into Gabriel before I got into Genesis. Yeah. And so, uh, therefore, I did what a lot of fans do, which is go, no, it's not like the early <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't actually that enamoured yeah. of, of uh, So when it came out. But it was everywhere. And it took actually probably two or three years for me to fully accept that this was a really good album for the simple reason that I was being that guy. I was being that fan. You're in your mid-teens, and that's when you're... Yeah. Uh, that's when you're going to keep a lot of things at arm. I felt that I should, you know, that I was in my cynical. Oh, yeah. This doesn't work. Well, that's not. That's all crap. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result, you know, I, I, I'd had uh, a lot of uh, um, exposure to Gabriel's music and sound by sure. this point. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm still more of a, a Peter Gabriel three, Peter Gabriel four kind sure. of guy. But this is a really good album, yeah. and it also actually contains one of my favourite tracks by Gabriel ever. So, you know, we'll come to that. So yes. it's we gotta this, we gotta hook you in to keep you listening. Yeah. So. This one this one didn't get me when it first came out. Sure. It took a few years for me. Mm. Right. Was Say Anything as a movie big in the UK or in Argentina? No, I had to explain that to him okay. when he moved Say here. Anything is the movie with John Cusack where they ah, use it yeah, in your yeah, eyes and he's holding the boombox. I don't recall I'm not sure. I wonder how it's going in Spanish. But, I mean, of course, John Cusack is popular there. Everybody knows him. Right. But I'm not sure at the time if it, the movie was popular. Right. I cannot say, really. That Anybody? Was a, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> was there? iconic in the U.S. Yeah. Because oh, I yeah. think that's what got the song really be really known. Yeah. Uh, because that was in not only the movie, but it was in the advertisements, that scene. So. Good choice, though, for In Your Eyes, because that would not have worked if you had done Milgram's 37. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, it would take yes. the movie in a whole different yeah. direction. Yeah. Shock the monkey, yeah. you know, more about the Burgermeister, you know. There's there's a lot of different choices you could have made there. Wouldn't so. have got the girl, I don't think. No. no. So not in that way, anyway. So, But yeah, so that was another thing that kind of, as this album was out, gave it an additional push, even though I don't know if In Your Eyes was ever a real single from this album I think or it not. Must have, I heard it a ton I, on the radio. Yeah, yeah so me it too. It yeah. been at least released at some point. But it could have been after the movie, maybe. Right. The right. movie was I think so it came out as a single and did okay, right. but then I think the movie might have pushed it back into kind of being in the charts in that respect. Do we know so. how it ended up in the movie, in your eyes? What happened? The, how, there's what? a story that I've heard that... Tell us your story, yes. Mike. There's a story that I've heard that was 
they approached Gabriel to use this song in in the movie, and it's Cameron Crowe directed it, who's well-known among music circles. And Gabriel said, oh, send me the clip from the film that it's in. They sent him the wrong clip. They sent him a clip Uh, for some horror movie, like a Friday the 13th that was coming out or whatever. And he was kind of like, no, this is horrible. And then some, yeah, exactly. Somewhere it got figured out that they sent him the wrong thing again i don't know if that's true it's a great story whether or not it's true um so i'll have to do some research and see if that's actually the case but but no i think it was cameron crowe was tied into a lot of that 70s and 80s era music and and it really is a great song for that moment in the movie although i haven't seen the movie in years either so well let's get to that song yes so Mm -hmm. so any other memories for this album that we want to talk about? First album, obviously, uh, to actually feature a name. Yes. yes. So, yes, it is actually, and and it does have a clear picture of Gabriel looking very dashing and handsome in his mid-30s. We always used to, myself and my brother always used to Josh, that uh, he, he sported what we called the EGH, which is the X-Genesis haircut. Ah, yeah. Which is every single member that had left the band had the same haircut around this time. <laughs> yes. So there was, uh, it has that little bit of hair on his, on his forehead, a yeah. little bit of bangs, you know. It's, it's a great picture. Who took the photo, if I may ask? Uh, Trevor Key. Ah. Only because I just happened to look down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a very yeah. quick answer. Yeah. It says photography by Trevor Key. So Photography, yes, indeed. So he had the key to Gabriel's look at that point. Oh, <laughs> someone that, stab him <laughs> now. Who cut his hair? I think his mother. Uh, <laughs> so with that, we will segue into a change in the weather. Red rain. Two albums prior when he didn't have any 
hi-hats, cymbals, or anything like that, to open an album with that. It's, it's, you know that he's changed musically, where I think he's open to more ideas and to exploring what other instruments and cymbals and hi-hats have to offer. Right. <laughs> and you're getting that just from the little... Right yeah. at the start such there. a good beginning. Um, it is. That describes me. I love this song. I mean, Stuart yeah. Copeland from The Police on hi-hat. <laughs> can I can I just say if anybody is remotely interested in this album, there is a uh, a documentary on the Classics album series which is really good. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, which uh, has basically all of the main protagonists talking about <laughs> this album, and they do talk uh, uh, at length about how they constructed this from various rhythms, and they wanted to to humanise it. Um, and so that's the reason why mm-hmm. uh, they approached um, Stuart Copeland, who really is like the king of the hi-hats, yeah. really. Yeah. And you can hear Jerry Murata talk with us about it on our interview with him from er- an earlier Tabletop Genesis episode. So go back into the archives. Of Tabletop Genesis. Of Tabletop Genesis, exactly. It's interesting because basically you've got really three major league drummers yeah. playing on this album yeah. sort of at least or should I say appearing on this album yes. <laughs> in the form of Stuart Copeland Jerry Marotta and Manu Cache. Right. was Manu Cache known before this album it was the first my first exposure yeah, to him he, uh, he was well known as a session guy in, in France oh. and around a certain hardcore of musicians as being right. the go to guy for sessions okay. kind of like a Steve Gadd type who's very yeah. plays with everybody and does that so Certainly a very sort of like, you know, a very hip and and, uh, and hot name to have on your okay. album. I love this track. I, this, I think, I remember when I first heard this album, I just thought the piano on this track was great. Mm-hmm. You know, for some reason, I, I focused in on that. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, it just has so much of the music in there, especially at the end when it's just Gabriel playing and playing the piano. I'm assuming it's him playing the piano at that part with his voice. It's my favorite piano, actually, which is the really? Yamaha CP80. Okay. Or at least it's it's layered in there. Yes. Is that the one that's making like the big chords when it first starts? Like brown, that's the one. Yeah. 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 Basically, and that brown. that and Tony used that a lot too. Exactly. I, I mean, that track, uh, that uh, uh, keyboard. We've mentioned this in prior episodes. Is ubiquitous. You know, Joe Jackson was using it. Elton John was using it. Yeah. You name it. it. Was all over hits of the time. Yeah. There's a song, uh, "Only Human" by the Human League. That feet almost exactly the same sound as the one yeah. in Red Rain. Features oh, yeah. Yeah, you were saying you focused on the piano. I always focus on the bass line of this track. Oh, that yes. to me is just phenomenal. This when it I starts, love it. it goes, yeah. that's, my, that's my favorite part of the song, if not the album. And when that bass slide, or so it's yeah. all downhill from here for you. It's like the first <laughs> mid, it's first second and a half at my favorite moment of the album. Oh, but then so this album could have been called "So You Want to Hear Tony Eleven yes. More." Yeah, every, almost every song is just like I, I find myself air basing to every single song it's just yeah. like he's throughout this more so because like if you go back to like the first or second album songs like modern love it's very mm-hmm. riff guitar yeah. riff driven mm-hmm. uh but when you come to this album it's just bass in your face <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very bass drum heavy and, and when we when you consider um i mean peter gabriel is 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 kind of notorious for being, as most musicians are when they write, they don't really want to be tied down to one meaning because whatever meaning you ascribe, nine times out of ten, they're happy with whatever it is that clicks with you. But these are some fairly dark lyrics about, you know, 
possible atrocities and uh, and you know because he was very very active in Amnesty International right. at this time you know and I think he was on the tour the yeah. Amnesty International tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the, the human rights abuses and the the way that, that the weak are preyed on by the strong. Yeah. It's a very evocative lyric without being in your face. And this was also one of his Mozo songs. Which, was it really? Yes. So it's a, it's this and that voice again are two Mozo involved songs. Would you like to uh, sort of like you know expand upon the Mozo sure. concept? Right, because we all know it, of course. Right? Yes, but, but for the <laughs> listeners, the listeners yes. don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mozo was a a overarching story-ish type of the, thematically linked songs that Gabriel had um, on the first five albums or so. I don't know anything after so that there's anything that really relates to it. Songs from the first album like Down the Dolce Vita, Here Comes the Flood were kind of involved in that and some other songs from maybe the second album I don't know about the third and fourth well on the air is, is on the air there. exactly yeah because he's it's Mozo is there yeah it's it's mentioned in the track so this was kind of as far as I know kind of the last appearance of any semi-explicitly Mozo related things Gabriel's talked a bit about it but it's it's kind of like him talking about the lamb it never gets you never really figure out what he was trying to do because he doesn't know, clearly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that you just described it, it was kind of maybe thematic <laughs> when there was an idea that perhaps, like, yeah. I, I've i never heard of this concept before, yeah. but I didn't, the songs you listed, I'm like, I don't see any connection between No, it's, it's, it's strange, but it's, and so reading this, this book by Spencer Bright about Gabriel, I remember it's seeing it when I kind of skimmed through it at bookstores back in the, 80s or 90s whenever that book came out that's his biography of Gabriel he mentions that oh there's a list of maybe five or six songs total that are mm-hmm. Mozo related and these two Red Rain and That Voice Again are the last ones that the book covers so you know and, and I haven't heard Gabriel talk about Mozo in the present tense since then so I think as an idea it's kind of disappeared well Mozo is for us in Argentina is a waiter Oh. Also. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe he had a very bad dining experience yes, during the yes. mid-70s. That could be it. So, But yeah, so I, I think that what Simon was saying, that this is, there's some story here that is not clear in this song. There could be, obviously, it's something not good. This is not a happy song. Well, I, I in an interview, I think he said it was, a, he had a dream where it was yeah. Red Rain. It was, it was based on a dream he had. Um he has a lot of dreams, isn't oh, he? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Let's air quote dream. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I, you know, I think this is a mix of maybe he had a dream and then he turned it into something that you know was could be related to something you know one of his causes or whatnot. But you know what? It I doesn't matter that you know the song kicks ass. Yeah. Um, that transition from verse to chorus, mm, it yeah. gives me a lady boner. <laughs> <laughs> that chord change is just yeah. like, oh, yeah. Subsequent live versions have become a lot heavier yeah. since this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember the, the Us Tour. Yeah. That was a very heavy, you know, full-on rock song, really, yeah, where yeah. this is a up, lot... Up, is yeah, it up? up yeah. yeah. But that this version, the album version, is, is quite balletic. It does yeah. skip along. It's got a lot of pace to it. But but as is often the way with a lot of uh, uh, Gabriel's material, it 
gains a lot of weight when you play it live. Yeah. And that's why I haven't tired of hearing it live because I know yeah. they're going to do something with it a little bit differently each tour. Mm-hmm. Um, other, unlike some other songs on this album, which I'm fine if I don't hear again in concert. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll get to those. So Very soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that on the album credits for this, uh, each song had kind of the breakdown of musicians on it. Gabriel was credited credited with uh, vocals, CMI, piano, and profit, which for musicians know that that's some sort of keyboard. But I just imagine, you know, when I was a kid looking at this, I was like, profit? I'm like, is he getting full of himself? So, <laughs> saying that he's a profit here? Or is that like, like, that's a strange credit to give yourself only on six of the songs. What about the other ones? <laughs> then I was looking it up and you're like, oh, that's some sort of musical instrument. Okay, so. Can you prophesize what the next track is? Oh, can I? I if you if you if you put a hammer to my head, mm-hmm. I'll say sledgehammer. Did not raise his hand to that. So Simon, was this your invisible touch to Peter Gabriel as invisible? Pretty touch? much, yeah, oh, pretty much. Although I would like to, I mean, it's. I'm not saying it's not a good song. Sure, it is sure. a really good yeah, song. Sure. This is a cracking song. It's just that I'm not a huge fan of it. I wasn't really a huge fan of it at the time. I got to like it, and now mm. I'm I'm a bit meh about it now okay. because it's it's the Stairway to Heaven of Peter Gabriel songs, really. I, I liked when he did the So Back to Front tour that I usually am not a fan of artists playing their albums in order, but I liked it in this case because he played Sledgehammer in the middle of the set. It wasn't the encore song. Yeah, he didn't draw right. it out. Right. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, it's it's great to have a great song in the middle of the, of the concert, versus, I mean, there's a lot of great songs in the middle of the concert, but such a big live song yeah. 
that you plunk in the middle of it because you're doing this conceit of doing the album order. I really liked it, and that gave me a renewed appreciation for and it. And that is so. the kind of thing which I think is one of the reasons why Peter Gabriel is is one of my favourite artists ever. You know, yeah. he, he, he does commit himself to an artistic choice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, in that context, I think I probably would enjoy it as well. Yeah. There is another slight side uh, thing to this, which I, I must mention, which is the... Um, we'll get on to the video in, in, in a, uh, a short while, sure. but um, uh, when they were doing the video, the video was actually uh, created by what went on to be the Ardman Group, the guys that did um, uh, Wallace and Gromit. Right. Um, and uh, I know a, a, an artist, a guy called Mark Buckingham, who is an artist that, that works for DC Comics. He draws a, a comic series called Fables and okay. Miracle Man. He has done some work on, I think, Batman or Superman. I can't remember which one it was. But basically... Mark's a big deal, sure. you know, but I've met him, lovely, lovely bloke, you know, mm. really down-to-earth guy, and he was a, was like a, a gopher, the British term sort of mm. like for, for, for like a student who was doing his right. work for free, for the album group, and worked on this video. Really? Okay. Yeah, and it was basically his job to be behind the screen that opened up to show just the mouth. <laughs> and uh, so he would just be there while, you know, because no one needed to, you know, they needed to light it. And Peter Gabriel didn't need to be behind there. So he had, he said, I, I stuck my mouth through that little hole, basically. <laughs> yeah. So whenever he sees that video, he kind of has fond reminiscences. I, I, well, I don't know whether or not it's fond or not, but he certainly has reminiscences <laughs> of it. Let's not put yeah. our judgment yeah. or feeling on top of this. So. Yeah, that's great. This song, this song and the video are so linked for me. Like yes. I, When I hear right. the song, I, I still see the video yeah. in my head. I know, Mike, yeah, you said fine. earlier you don't, but for you, but for me, it's just, I can't listen to it without you know, playing the video along with it, because I didn't have cable at the time this was out, but I still knew the video. Like, they still (laughs) played it on primetime stations, you know, Mm -hmm. the regular, you know, just, you know, your regular TV. So, um, it it just was, it just was huge here. There was nothing ever done like this before. I mean, I don't know if Thriller was, like, kind of the long... Like, yeah. there was some of the longer-form videos coming out, yeah. you know, now that there was an NTV and more people had televisions mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Like, people were so getting creative. But this was... Yeah. But the whole idea that it wasn't just, you know, a band playing and yeah. in, in front of a camera... Um, it was a watershed moment yeah. for video. Yeah, Absolutely. stop motion all the way through it. I mean, it's it's really... You know, at a certain point after you see it enough and you're just trying, once you realize like, oh, that's all fun stuff and everything, you realize like, oh, this took a lot of work to do this. This was not easy. Pre-computer CGI. To have clouds moving across his face, you know, being painted and you realize like, oh, they had to repaint that each time to make Mm -hmm. that work. And, you know, the making of, you know, the video for this kind of goes into the details of it. I think this took about eight days to film, which for a four-minute clip, you know, is a long time. Well, you know, and considering how the, the legacy of it, that's yeah, it's well worth, <laughs> you know, well well worth it. it. Can I can I ask a music-based question? Sure. Which is 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 this the one the, the first track that Manu Cache features on? I believe so. I know it is not uh, Jerry Murata on here. Yes, this is Manu Cache on there. 
Okay. I think that, that I read some of this inspired by like the music of Otis Redding and soul. Yeah. I think one of the guys oh, yeah. from the Otis Redding band mm-hmm. maybe was a guest. Yeah, one yeah, of the horn players, I, love the I horns think. On this. Yeah. yeah, right. That just like it's yeah. awesome. I think it was a, it makes it one me. of his first tracks where it had female backing vocals. Yeah. I don't remember anything prior. Maybe yeah. there. Katie Arnold too. Yeah, Oh, I mean like a like a chorus of like. Where your backing vocal, like yeah. it's yeah, almost like, like the Supremes, like the Supremes behind. Oh, I see. Like that. Yeah. Like it wasn't like Kate Bush vocal. wasn't doing that type of backing vocal. No, she had no self control. Oh. <laughs> Um, I think, but I, I think, think. He, that was like I think the horns yeah. and the, those females, like the singers in the back, was just such a nice homage. Yeah. And I love that there's that kind of connection with him and Phil Collins, like where they mm-hmm. pay tribute to that that old soul music yeah. and the Motown. And Phil played Sorry, on the live version. Waiting for like, the big yeah. one from the first album. They've got oohs and ahs in that sort of Pink Floydy style. Oh, yeah. All right. And there's some women, female voices in yeah, there. You are not. determined. You just want to crap on Tom's parade today. <laughs> yeah, well, like I was saying, other than waiting for the big one. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, don't quote me on this. What have the Romans done for us? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't quote me on this. I think this song may be about sex. Ooh. I no. think so. As a 15-year-old, <laughs> I didn't that's where he stores his bananas and apples in a fruit cage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at the time, unfortunately, it would still be years before I even saw anyone's fruit cage. (laughs) So it took a while for me to realize, yes, okay, this is a a running theme throughout some of his songs. Dripping with metaphor, as it were. You could have a big dipper going up and down all around the bend. See, the original demo version was called Cock Blocker. <laughs> exactly. Show me around your fruit cage, because I will be your honey bee. Oh Open God. up your fruit cage, where the fruit is as sweet as can be. Thank you, William Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, this is just like... like once, this is worse than Sugar Walls. Oh, yeah. Like, once you cl- <laughs> but, but, it, but it gets away with it, because yeah. it's such just an, an up song. Yeah. And I was really happy that when we saw um, the Sting and Peter Gabriel show, that they actually ended with this. This was the final song of the night, and not a Sting song. I thought that, you know... <laughs> I thought just yeah, yeah. I just thought it was that's important. Isn't I, I, I just thought it was. I, I thought it was. It was great that 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 it it was just such an up song to end things on. That you know, Sting has some great songs. I don't know if 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 anything could have beat Sledgehammer in that set. So, well, I think Sting and Stuart fun. Copeland don't get along, so maybe it was. Peter's oh, maybe it was a dig. Oh, was there a dig. you go. He knew that because he played on the album. He said, yeah. oh, "Okay." Well, that. It, Speaking of like people who played on the album, this is probably one of the first albums where I really started reading liner notes and that realizing that musicians musicians aren't tied to one artist. They can mm. play and, and be used mm-hmm. as session players. I, up, up until this point, my big... Invo- <laughs> I was right. I'm right, finally. <laughs> That's actually, uh, I think, uh, Peter Gabriel's texting us yes. now, too. Yeah. So. My big musical influence and who I had gone back through albums and everything was Billy Joel. And at one point around the early 80s, part of his session horn player was Mark Rivera. Mm -hmm. And so when I got this album and I started reading throughout that, oh, this guy that I know so well from Billy Joel's career is now playing horns on two albums on two songs on this album. I was like, you can do that? You're allowed to do that? (laughs) 
I can tell it's him. Yeah. He's been because of his head horn, but I had porn. <laughs> <laughs> the porn player on this track. <laughs> For the longest time. <laughs> it's just a fantasy. It is a, a, a you know an incredible track. It's it basically it, there are moments in an artist's life where things just suddenly snap into focus, mm-hmm. and um, they very rarely know they're doing it at the time, until everybody else goes. That was awesome. Yeah. This was the last. This was a late addition to this to these sessions. It was something that uh, Tony Levin was talking about how mm-hmm. he was about to leave, and Gabriel said, "Oh, can you record this part?" for this track or whatever so you know this is just something we'll probably use for the next album after this one and then i think after tony levin put his part down and gabriel once he hears an idea and gets focused on it he'll just keep adding and adding to it and trying to keep this clean <laughs> we're a family oriented pod- podcast fuck yeah indeed all right <laughs> so yeah i think it's great i know that there was an interview with phil and and Tony around this time that they were doing for the release of Invisible Touch where this album had just come out uh, so had just come out and Phil and Tony both kind of got a chuckle over the fact that basically the flute sound at the beginning of this track is like the basic preset flute sound on whatever keyboard he used they kind of <laughs> laughed they're like oh he didn't even change it up or anything it's just like it's just you know a keyboard flute sound nothing done to it at all and they're like he could play flute he can just do that so. but it works it's, yeah it's, it's works. It, that's to me that's the sledgehammer flute yeah that's the peter yeah. gabriel flute yeah. you know of this time and, right. and sledgehammer yeah. at least in the u.s was a song that eclipsed Invisible Touch for yeah. the number one spot on Billboard. Yeah, okay. Summer of 86. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about the two-season sitcom Sledgehammer. That was a great show. It was, I have show. it on DVD. You do? <laughs> oh, my God. I'll bring it down the next yeah. time. So. Uh, that was a great show, yes. So, now, but does he do the, the dance in that show, too? Like, <laughs> yeah, that live dance of his. Let's talk about that No, show, let's not. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> It's like watching a sex scene in a movie with your parents in the room. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Is that so? When when you saw that for the, do you see that on video or actually live? For the, the first, first time, time I saw it was on video. Okay. And then so when I saw the So Reunion tour, yeah, I was like, oh shit, please don't do this, please, because you're you're like my dad, like no, <laughs> please. Oh, and he did it. It, it was. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think he's he does that dance every tour yeah. that he does. Yeah. It. But and as we were saying before, songs that I'd be fine. Like if he toured again, I think he's obligated to play it. But I'd be all right if he didn't play yeah. it. Well, I'm yeah. fine without. Yeah. yeah. Like like it's it's one of those songs that if if he plays it, I enjoy it in the moment because yeah. again it's it's a great song and it does get the crowd going. In but I you know the reason I don't want him to do it again and this is kind of pretty harsh i think is like this song is so like what i love about the song is the energy in it and the pace and he just can't get to that it's just not there anymore the 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 liveliness of it Mm. um that 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 it had in in its time Mm. so tracks like sledgehammer from like if artists are touring now that were big maybe back in the 80s or 90s i i'm fine if they drop it because it's never gonna live up to that energy it had when it came out if they brought back real horns for it i'd that would be interesting to watch but because i could see that yeah Yeah. i'll give you that (laughs) (laughs) there you go well then don't give up on the podcast we're coming right back with don't give up
In this proud land we grew up strong We were wanted all along I was taught to fight, taught to win I never thought I could fail No fight left or so it seems I am a man whose dreams have all deserted I've changed my face, I've changed my name I love it and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it more than I hate it. Okay. No, go on, go on. I'm, I'm Just, I don't know, I don't know if it's the, the music, the lyrics, or both. But I... <laughs> no, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm not saying anything. I don't <laughs> know if it's the song, or <laughs> the song. No, I really like, no, I will start again. I really like it. <laughs> You're listening. No, I, I actually agree with Ellie no, on I have this. Mixed feelings. What I, I, think, I think it goes so, on for a bit too long. I wrote, it's a pretty song. It's but it's boring and I don't get it. I get maybe the sort of instrumental part is kind of too long. I don't even know. This is one of those. This is one of those rare songs that lives on its lyric. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it, it's a good song and it has all the right ingredients for for the song. But take those lyrics away and put them, you know, other lyrics. This wouldn't be the kind of iconic song that a lot of Peter Gabriel fans see it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just I I really love the lyric on this one because it's one of those one of those lyrics which, unlike a lot of uh, Peter Gabriel stuff, it doesn't beat about the bush. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to use metaphor. It literally is talking about failure and how you survive it and the hope that comes with people yeah. being around you and a great message don't give up yeah you know, doesn't, doesn't yeah. beat around the kate bush that's right yeah <laughs> and to this day i still don't really understand why kate bush wasn't a, became didn't become a huge star in in the u.s yeah, because right. of this well yeah i i because it has one in in has one of the the most gentlest wrestling scenes in in, in the world in the video <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> Um, yeah, Kate Bush was not, she had a hit here, um, from a song she had featured in a film called She's Having a Baby with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, so it was played at, like, one of the end scenes of the movie, um, and now I can't, uh, This Woman's Work, that song. And so that was, like, a single here, and it got some radio play, but other than that, and again, I was pretty young, um, I don't recall her having... Any you know success here outside of kind of like cult status yeah, maybe that sounds about right because so. without yeah. without Kate Bush I would not be a Genesis fan today sure. I was a Kate Bush fan before I was a Peter Gabriel fan mm-hmm. and because I became a Peter Gabriel fan I became a Genesis fan mm-hmm. and uh, I I love Kate Bush as much as I love uh, you know Peter Gabriel's uh, work and um, when the two of them I'm I'm amazed in some ways that those two haven't collaborated. Uh, more often because there is in my mind twisted as it might be 
there's a lot of symp- simpatico between those two, their outlooks mm-hmm. towards music, their their you know their real individualism uh, that they they they, they forge a, a path through respective, mm-hmm. and she is huge mm-hmm. in the UK oh, okay. and, uh, yeah, and a, a big but big star in the UK for some well I don't know whether I think she, she might have some, some followers in Europe she never toured she, I think she done yeah. only two oh, tours she's never came but this song is just one of in my opinion one of the most perfect coming together of sure. two of two incredibly ir- original artists that that really know how to stir up an emotion. Yeah. It's a complete opposite to to Peter Gabriel and Laurie Anderson. That's a much mm-hmm. more intellectual oh, yeah. kind of uh, joining, whereas this is a very emotional one. Mm-hmm. But how cool would it have been if Dolly Parton said yes? Yeah, I was going to mm. say. Because she was originally the yeah. first choice, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, she was. Because she was like, who the fuck is Peter Gabriel? Dolly Parton was like, you know, she's, she's, a, she's an icon here. Yeah, she's yeah. an icon here, and she still is. And yeah, so I could see, see that. Her and I'm like, very, what? very, I'm very, very happy that they got uh, Kate Bush because yeah. the third choice was Lemmy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you could have gone a very different direction. That video that would have been really <laughs> more <laughs> uncomfortable than the sledgehammer dance. Don't give up. <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's it's a song I like in small doses. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is my song that if I never heard it live again, I'd be oh, fine yeah, with that. Yeah, like it, it, it just goes on too long with getting the crowd to sing Don't Give Up along with them at the end, and I'm just like, all right, we just need to get on to the next song, whatever the next <laughs> song might be. It's like, it, it's just, it's yeah. not after, it, it just, emotionally it doesn't, do it for me anymore live uh the the recorded version i like and but it still goes on a little bit too long i, I feel like there's just that coda that comes the no end. the bass part is fine at the end there I, I think it's that kind of the last like if they cut out the next to the last verse or kind of the last repetition of the female vocal coming back in basically saying the same thing it said in the first time maybe with different words but basically the same feeling mm-hmm. i'm like i don't it's just the same thing again you know i don't need that necessarily yeah instrumental so. and then the last bit was says don't give up yeah, don't give yeah. Up. like if it was a little if it tightened up just a little bit i think i'd be fine with it and but it's just it's just too long yeah and and I, what i do like though i think this is a great I mean, you're saying it's it's all about the you know the lyrics are the strength. I think their vocal performances are so strong. Mm. Like Gabriel yes. and, and oh, Kate yeah. Bush are like this. I think it's to me this is hit the best singing yeah. on the album. But I think yeah. the, I right. think the lyrics drive that yes. performance. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because yeah, the emotion and the lyrics. The, all the subject together. matter really you know drives it. So um, I'll give it that. <laughs> well, the, I think yeah the. I, I like the subdued kind of bass that kind yeah. of repetition over the over the course mm-hmm. of the song. I think one of his best moments in recent writing is the bridge where it starts with Kate singing Rest Your Head, You Worry Too Much yeah. through her verse and then into his verse. I mean that whole gospel y kind of yeah. section is just That's gorgeous. And I, I hate to say it, Simon, but I get more goosebumps when Paula Cole sings that than when Kate Bush does. She does have a great voice, that lady. I mean, so when the two of them did that live, I mean, that just Mm -hmm. is great. And then, but that's almost like the the peak of the song, right, and then when it comes back down and goes into, it's kind of like, yeah, the song reached its zenith. Yeah, go into that bass part after that part, 
I think you, I think you got a good song, solid right. song right there. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's. It, I don't. I certainly don't hate this song. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah, I have to recommend <laughs> myself. I don't care. I, no, how no. can you hate this song? I, I think it's the, the perfect. Lyrics are beautiful. Yeah. The perfect antidote to Sledgehammer. Yes. Yes. you know, you I had to flip that switch really. And it shows his range of writing too. That he can be very, you know, over overtly covertly sexual in sledgehammer and then very moving and touching in a different way mm-hmm. in don't give up so i thought it was interesting what the reason was behind having two different videos for this song explain well there's the one i think that we all know and love i think that when you think of it you think of him and kate bush standing on that yeah. turning thing yes. and very every, uncomfortable <laughs> for a long period of time. every time it's their turn to sing. They happen to be facing the camera, which must have taken a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other version where it's more of like about you're losing your job and there's there's video of like someone on an unemployment line, I think. Yeah. I, to be honest, I can't recall what's in that video because the other one is so ingrained in my forefront. Yeah. I think it's amazing that they managed to actually get that turning thing and also find a total eclipse of the... Uh, the, the, uh, the there's a lot the of timing, yeah. right? At the... yeah. I, I first calendar. saw that yeah. I first saw that video playing in a store on a big wall somewhere and it was just kind of like oh it's a Peter Gabriel video first song I didn't know had a video and I was like and it's just them standing there all right and it's it was striking in its own way so it, it but it was interesting that that was how I ran into it so anyway I think another reason why I'm fine not hearing it live again is because it hasn't been delivered with the power that Paula Cole gave it since she performed it Sure. Nothing against Melanie, Melanie, uh-huh. uh, but it just doesn't. It just never reached that height that it did with Paula Cole. Yeah. After that, she became quite a, a star in her own right. Yeah, in the yeah, US, yeah, she album, yeah. for like one album, I think, and then yeah. she kind of disappeared a little. Yeah, bit. I think she kind of. I don't know if she even put out a second album. I think she might have gone retired a little bit. Right. So. Where have all the cowboys gone? Yeah, that was her big hit yeah, here in the nineties. It was right after she toured with yeah. him. She did do an album after that. She's okay. still active. I still yeah. she plays she in Philly. Yeah, Everyone's still around yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, she plays yeah. a place right down the street from our apartment. This, yeah, that's uh, what I in Jersey City. And sorry, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who we're talking about with regards to Paula Cole, she was the one of the uh, performing artists on the oh, on the Secret, Secret World Tour, Secret World. which was yeah, she was absolutely amazing. Yeah. One of the very few women that can uh, that can pull off Dr. Martin. Uh, 15 hole boots <laughs> uh, and and what a voice on her as well yeah, yeah. you know she had a real presence on stage right well, I think another reason this song really figures up there I think because a lot of people who were teens and got into this album kind of like my age but might have been more of like the goth or the emo kind of thing mm-hmm. who might have been going through, through some troubles like the whole theme of don't give up yeah. I mean for them I, I think I know personally one kid in my high school who credits the song with like keeping him going uh-huh. like so i think a lot of people really put this up there for the lyric and what it meant to them so when they yeah. see in concert it's a moment whereas yeah. for i think most of us were like it's a, it's a bathroom break it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a moment to go get another beer but yeah good for them i'm glad they get something out of the song so we'll move on now You're cynical for one so young <laughs> I, I like the song it's just you know yeah um the next song Number two mozo is that voice again. Um. 
There was one meh moment on the album for me. This is the track. What? Agreed, one hundred percent. Oh. I think there's more. There's a stronger meh moment on the second side. Okay. But I, I said first side. This is my meh song because okay. the other three are so great. That's the only reason. So Ellie comes down on meh too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I kind of agree. Like, um, I uh, remember the whole song. I don't remember yeah. most of it. It's so, so 80s. How can you not like it? <laughs> I, it is, it's super oh. 80s. And I think that's why I love it. It's 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 Gabriel's um, just a job to do kind of track. What <laughs> I, I would have <laughs> never compared that. Well, to no, no, that no. Song, I, okay, but. I think objectively they they don't align, but in sure. my head they do, which is not a normal place to be. <laughs> but. Um, but in terms of like kind of sticking out as a sign, a song of the times, like you know, th- this whole album kind of has an '80s sound to it if you think about it. Sure. But this is like if you just played this song and said, "What a decade was this from?" I'm falling asleep even listening to you <laughs> talk about this. There is a bit in the lyrics, just like I do with the lyrics and the song. It Go is. It, it really grooves for me. It's like Red Rain. It just it has a good bass line. Like Red Rain, it begins with that little piano tinkling, and then it yeah. has that again, which I would... <laughs> it, it, It's a worse version of Red Rain, is what you're telling me. It's they, it's a version that's not as good. I I said when when they did the Back to Front tour, Gabriel said I think maybe even the tour book or in interviews for it, he said, oh you know we get to play some songs that we didn't play that much, like that voice again. And I thought, well, there's a reason why you didn't play it that much on the initial tour for this album, because it's not that great of a song. I, I disagree with you. I like it the is drums. A great song. I like, I like the, the, the bridge. I always try to mirror him and try to sing that only love can make love and hold the love note yes. as, long as, <laughs> as long as he holds it. There's a line that caught my attention. It says, it's only in uncertainty that we are naked and alive. alive. Mm. That is a good lyric. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that is a good lyric. Okay, I have to write this down. <laughs> I, and actually, he was no slouch at lyrics, although trying yeah. to get him to write them according yeah. to Daniel Lanois was quite yeah. a, a task. Well, well, a chunk of the lyrics in this song are, are, Dan, are uh, David Rhodes' lyrics. Really? So that's, that's what he contributed because this is credited to Gabriel Rhodes and a third person who is somebody who I can't see right now. Um, oh yeah, the, it says, actually it's just the uh, lyrics are Gabriel and Rhodes for this one, music by Peter Gabriel. Okay. So I thought there was the third writer there, but I was wrong. Um, yeah, I just, it's... That's just not possible. Sure. I, I am, I've noticed how quickly I'm going past that. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I just, this song does nothing for me. I tried, I was like, let me give it a shot if I'm going to hear it live on the Back to Front tour. And I thought the live arrangement was slightly more interesting than the album arrangement, but still not that interesting. For me, this is sonically like the sweater your mum gives you for Christmas. <laughs> you feel obligated to wear nice? it, yeah. you know. It's not a bad song. It just it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have kind of the the longevity and the maybe the rel the, the sound relevance of all the other songs on the album. Like it, okay, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, but <laughs> it, I still think it's a good track and okay. probably not surprising. This was my favorite track on the album when I got it. Oh, when you got it. Okay. So it, it it there is really a, there when, is as a, a nine year old. Yeah, this was point, your favorite track? Absolutely. More than a, like a dancing sledgehammer. This is more dancing to me. Thing. Maybe I have, again, don't really. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. We well, accept, we love you, watch our Instagram okay. for the interpretive dance from Stacy yeah. on that voice again. That will never happen. Um, <laughs> Soon to appear on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. I hope there's some, some listeners out there who go back me up on this. But uh, yeah, oh, I think I'll it's back good. for the poll. We'll listen yeah. to it together. Okay, Ooh. good. Have a good time. <laughs> um, anything else about this song? Mike's like, I don't like this song, so we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we're going into the, the CD order of this, the reissued CD, we're now going to take a slight detour down Mercy Street. Mercy 
downer. <laughs> <laughs> See, now it, the, the coin is completely turned. I love this song, and I didn't like it at the time. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way that I, I like this more than Don't Give Up, for example. Yeah. Um, maybe because I just think it's more interesting as a complete whole. And it's I like the metaf- I like the imagery in this. A There's lot. a kind of wallflower kind of feel yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, where it's sort of like it it it, it motors along uh, under the surface, so to speak, and just sort of like it delivers the emotional punch in a very subtle way. Um, I like and it. and it's I suppose the word to, that I, I would I would use is it's the very epitome for me of beauty. He's talking about the poet Anne Sexton mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with regards to the lyrics, but it's just such a... He really does evoke that kind of feel that, that Anne Sexton was trying to put across in her poems, and uh, it's a rare thing to be able to generate any kind of atmosphere in a song, but to be able to pull together something that, that really does narrow it down to a, a specific person with a specific viewpoint and shine a sort of like, hold a mirror up to it, that's a incredible thing to do yeah i think it's a very powerful song sorry to i think these lyrics are the ones on the album that really showcase his wordsmith ability of be able to have words flow from one to another that they, it sounds like poetry that he's singing it's i mean it's not i mean you have your fruit cage and IDs, <laughs> but this is i mean just the way that he positions the words together it just it sounds good hearing them in the song so mm-hmm. i think it's just pleasant to listen to the flow of the verses yeah. and this, the way and the way the lyrics are recorded too you know this kind of double tracking of the vocals almost like a spoken son type of yeah. combination there that that gives it a unique feel and there's also none of his regulars on this track musically like david rhodes isn't on it tony levin isn't on it manukachi or jerry murata aren't on it so it's very much it's it's different from the rest of the album because of that i remember from the documentary um he was talking about having trouble delivering the low octave vocal yeah. um, to give that richness at the bottom. He said, so what we did is um, we sent Peter Gabriel out to sleep in the studio. Hmm. He said, because his voice was lower in the morning hmm. because his vocal cords hadn't tightened up or something like that. And, uh, and so he said, we, we made him sleep in the studio overnight. So when he woke up the next morning, he immediately pressed record hmm. and sung the low vocal oh, down there. there. Yeah, this is a song I appreciate more now as an adult mm, um, yes. because when I when you know when I got this album I thought this was so creepy yeah, and I, nine year old yeah I it was I, I wasn't uh, ready for it yet let's just say and um, so I it's great that I love when I can re- rediscover a song mm. and you know something especially one that's so familiar yeah um, and it's it's a whole new thing for me so. Yeah, I, I I do like this one a lot, and each time I listen to it, and more and more, I guess I'm getting older and more depressing. But, um. <laughs> well, you you have more life experience yeah. to draw upon. Yeah. With some of this, and I do love how you're saying how unique it is within the whole album. Like it does yeah. kind of really stick out um, in, in many ways. So yeah, I like that. It's funny that uh, even back then, I I often look back at some of the things that I liked and did. And I realized that when you're young, you're very much into your primary color mm-hmm. phase. You want the highs to be as high as possible. Mm-hmm. 
you want you know and you experience the highs and the lowest lows as well when you're young and that's one of the reasons why youth always feels much more dramatic <laughs> but when you when you get older you lose a some of those highs and you lose some of those lows well hopefully you do mm. but you gain a, a more appreciation for subtlety which you know this song was completely lost on me sure. as, a, as a young mm. man mm. you know I just didn't get it because I wasn't in the headspace to get it yeah. and that's one of the great things about a classic album like this is it just gives you a little bit more as you change as well right I think originally this was recorded in Brazil uh, yeah some of the percussion and stuff yeah, yeah it was meant to be a faster song inspired in the forró music from Brazil which is almost a danceable rhythm mm. I think by mistake someone in the studio uh, played it like in a slower ah. uh, slower basically yeah. and Peter Gabriel said oh hold on I like this mm, you know right. slower a happy accident so he decided, yeah. exactly it was kind of an accident now this was one of the highlights I think the highlight of the up tour mm. when they brought this back they hadn't played it on the secret world tour mm-hmm. right I think that yeah. And Although so, I didn't see the I didn't see the first light of the up tour, so I missed that. But uh, when they had it and they did it in the round, it was just like the the subtle blue lights, and it was just like another thing where you figured some people were going to the bathroom, they don't get the song, but by the up tour, which was I think two thousand three, mm-hmm. like I was at a point where I could really appreciate mm-hmm. this song, and it was nice to just give them the due and just not rush through it. Like it, you know, they just took their time and laid the atmosphere down, which which you need for the song, and I think that's I think. Going, if, if we had taken our, not to give anything away, but if we had taken our poll in 86 or 87, yeah. probably Sledgehammer would be top of the list. And I think as all the fans who have listened to this have gotten older, I think the song might have oh, crept a little That hard. might be a hint, listeners, a hint. for <laughs> the rankings to come. So, very interesting. We are a bunch of rankers, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Rank amateurs, that's for sure. <laughs> the only thing that I've noticed recently, if you listen to this and In Your Eyes back to back, it almost has the same to start each song, like almost identical. And that is that's the only thing that I'm like, they could have changed it up a little bit. They sound too similar. Well, that's probably the reason why they're not next to one another, are they? They're not next one. They used to they be used actually to be. when when it was on the album, the first. What the vinyl because, album? Yeah, the vinyl because in your eyes opened up the first, the second side, and Mercy Street was right after uh, it. So, but maybe in that order, maybe it wouldn't have bothered you as much. It doesn't bother me that. <laughs> I can get past it. I'm a professional. <laughs> well, with that, we will move on to. Hi there. Big time. I'm on my way, I'm making it. I've got to make it show, yeah. So much larger than life. I'm going.
Dinner. <laughs> I like this song. I don't know if I like its placement on the album right after Mercy Street. Because Mercy Street is so moody and atmospheric. It wakes you up, though. <laughs> it, it certainly does, yeah. but I almost don't want to be woken up that quickly from yeah, Mercy true. Street. Yeah, true. It is. I, I wrote down it's a, it's a, it's a face puncher. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This has one of the best moments of playing on yeah. the album for me, which is uh, there's a story attached to it, which is down to the bass line. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as you say, it, it slaps you in the face as it yeah. starts off. And you've got that sort of uh, almost Nile Rogers chic kind of funk guitar, and then it uh, it gets to the end of the first verse. You see, you hear sort of Peter Gabriel's uh, vocals fall away into into reverb, mm-hmm. to be replaced by this bass line, which at the time sounded utterly alien. <laughs> But it was the way it was the way it was put yeah, together, which yeah. is the fact that Tony Levin was at one end of the, the fretboard yeah. fingering the notes while Jerry Marotta was playing with his drumsticks yeah. on. And that's how Tony Levin developed the, 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 the little funk, funk fingers. fingers. Yeah. yeah, to replicate that sound live, yeah. to try to get that in there. So yeah, it's 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 something that again, you probably had never heard a bass sound quite like that before when it all of a sudden kind of appears. And you're like, what is this? I mean, it yeah. sounds like half between like a slap bass yeah. and a sort of almost like a sequence bass yeah, line, yeah. you know? Yeah, and almost underwater is how I think about it. Like, it's it has this very soupy feel to it. Not in a negative way, but just kind of a very liquid to me. Like a dripping bass line. Yeah, sure. It's, it's a really amazing and very imaginative way of, of, uh, of, of featuring the bass guitar, yeah. really. Because let's face yeah. it, you know... Bass doesn't often get a lot of sort of the front of house loving, and uh, <laughs> and this is a really great uh, moment on the album, one yeah. of the best in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's a great song. And this was also another very iconic video of his because yeah. I remember again, I remember you know I still see the video when I hear mm-hmm. the song too, and it was very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember that getting a lot of attention as well. More stop summer. motion. Yeah. yeah, it was more plasticine. Uh, I remember there's a a section during the video where they're obviously slicing parts of a plasticine um, long sort of almost like a sausage but inside like a uh, it's depicting a scene and it's animating itself as it as it gets chopped away that's amazing really that that was us last night (laughs) (laughs) hey now Uh well this is again tabletop after dark that's what we were hanging out okay (laughs) Right. You think that was sexual? It could have been. It will be on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. That's too too good, too good. But even as a naive 15-year-old who might not have gotten a fruit cage, <laughs> I, I still understood the bulge in my big, 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 big. Yeah. I, I still don't know what he's going to say at the end of that. I, who knows? Bulge in his big what? Plants. <laughs> Well, I was thinking you were gonna because I hate fade outs. I'm not a big fan of fade outs. It's one of it's one of yeah. I, I personally unless you do it very musically, I always think it's a big cop out. Sure. And I thought that he was gonna fade this out with big, 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 and he doesn't. He just slaps it down the and I and I I remember even at the time listening to it, and I sort of like I did a fist pump. <laughs> you did it. You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so much of the times that. The record company thought that 
well, we can't make the joke about the bulge in his big pants. We have to cut that out. Mm-hmm. And the, even at the time, I think that was a fairly tame sexual joke. And again, look at Sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of worse, worse, quote-unquote, metaphor in there that you can kind of look at as, as being sexual. So... You know, I, I still always kind of hope that maybe a version of this will come out that has the pants at the end. But, you know, just, just give me the joke I've been waiting 30 years for now. So. Uh, but there's another thing which is, uh, I think is so uh, typical of, uh, of Peter Gabriel's work is that he, he's, especially in his lyrics, he allows you to do some of the work in your own head. Make the joke yourself. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's where it, it, you know, that interaction, I, I, I think a good lyric should always add something in your own mind. Yeah, yeah I think if you said pants at the end, it'd be so corny. It'd be like, oh, really? Like, like, I knew who was going there. Yeah, like stating there. the obvious. Yeah. I, maybe I like the obvious jokes here and there. So. <laughs> I actually will say, I don't think this song works terribly well live. It is, right. yeah, but yeah. I agree. It's a with little you. light when it's yeah. played live that it just like I feel like it should be have a bit more oomph to it, and the, it just doesn't. The strength of this song, I think, is the arrangement, yeah. and actually the vocal harmonies are really mm-hmm. good. Which it, that you, he doesn't do that yeah. live. Um, He's never had female vocalists sing backup on a track before. No, so. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> never, never, never. I don't think it's as iconic a song as uh, Sledgehammer, mm-hmm. but I prefer it. Okay. It's a fun yeah. song, isn't yeah. it? Wow. I think I like Sledgehammer better, but I like both of the songs. I just yeah. like how this moves along. Yeah. You know, I, I and I also I think I prefer the the, the subject matter. You know, because it was about you know we're living at this time you were living in the Gordon Gecko times, yeah. the greed is good yeah. kind of thing, and he mm-hmm. was you know there were only just at this point murmurings because of course prior to that it was just like if you had said anything remotely empathic uh, or, or, or nice, you were just an old hippie. Right. And money was king and where's the cocaine and, and all that kind yeah. of business. And it was this the start of that return to sort of like, well, can't we just be nice? Yeah. We can care about things. Yeah, exactly. You know, outside of our bank account. So. Well, it's that whole business of, of, of judging someone on their personal wealth rather than their personal worth. Right. Even in the liner notes, it's, it says big time. And it has the word next to it, success, but success is split apart. Yes. And that, it's not one of the lyrics, it's just kind of like his take, like I'm taking success, which is put up on a pedestal at this time and kind of just splitting it apart and diving into, like, what does it mean to be successful? Peter lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was on the uh, the, the CD uh, ones, but I, I seem to recall that it might have been on the vinyl ones where they had Mercy Street and how he was pacing the words on the page to make him look good. And, of course, one of the things you notice on this is that you, the big, 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 big trails off, almost like Wile E. Coyote falling off a cliff. Yes, yes. <laughs> And that's a really good thing, you know. It's sure. you know, it, I I really like that. That always stuck with me. Well, he right. thinks of everything. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. it's visual. It's all yeah. like part of the part and parcel that you get with Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Excellent. Well, with that, I think we can move on to. No, we, we're not going to do what we're told. We are going to do what we're told now. Milgram's thirty-seven.
when people talk about So as being Peter's commercial album, honestly, besides, you know, the the big three of Sledgehammer, Big Time, and, and In yeah. Your Eyes, the other tracks on here aren't super radio-friendly, you know, and this yeah. especially is, you know, a callback to something he wrote in 1980 or so. And perform live back then. It always reminds me of uh, Lead a Normal Life, yeah. you know, th- with that sort of that repetition of yeah. the, the rhythm and the melody and, uh, and a really odd uh, subject matter. I wrote it's more experimental. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. is. Comparing with Big Time, I guess. I oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, this is all based on mood, you know. The lyrics are not super explanatory. This is all just about this creepy feeling and the voices coming in from the distance. Like, you know, we do what we're called. And it's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't give you a lot other than the mood. And I, I like it because of that. I, I'm fine with it. I, <laughs> I do think it feels like it should have been on part of Peter Gabriel 3 or even maybe a little bit of a section of a song on 4. Hmm. It's one of those I'll listen to. And I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I do like when Peter comes in with the one doubt, one voice, but it's like kind of comes yeah. and goes. And all right, it's gone. I, I really like. I had the LP when it first came out. I really liked this being the end of the LP. It was a very downbeat end, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because like Big Time gives you the kind of hey, we're having a good time, and then this comes on, and you're like, oh, <laughs> and it just kind of like I liked that. I thought it was a good shift of mood and it just kind of do you know what the the subject matter is about oh yes yeah. so we should we describe it for everybody i mean for some people out there who might not know yes yes the basically stanley Meldrum was a psychologist who did experiments back in the 50s or 60s that basically were about control there was a lot of discussion at the time about you know Nazi prison guards in World War Two, you know, are they responsible for their own actions or were they just following orders? Yeah. And Mildred's idea was that we are more ingrained to follow orders than we think we are, mm-hmm. and so he did this experiment where he divided volunteers into two groups, um, you know, of victims and you know teachers. And students and teachers, I'll say. Students being the victims, metaphor there. Um, and the students would go into a room and they'd get hooked up to this electrical equipment and they had to answer questions. And if they got something wrong, the teacher would administer an electrical shock. And as people got more wrong, they would administer more higher and higher level electrical shock. What the, it's, what the, what the teacher did not know was that the student was a ringer, was part of the experiment, and was not getting shocked at all in this oh, different okay, room. Yeah. And so as they started getting things wrong, you know, oh, I'm getting shocked. Oh, I'm getting shocked. And, oh, my God, that hurt a lot. I can't take this anymore. No, I... And the experimenters were basically saying to the teachers, no, you have to keep going with this. Mm. And I think it was something like, you know, I forget the percentage, but a certain higher than you would think percentage would do the 37th lever, which was like almost a fatal shock or maybe even like a a life-threatening shock or something. And because a lot of the things post-World War II, people were saying, oh, we would have never done what the Nazis did. We wouldn't have done that. We're in America. We we know this. We know that. And and this was very... uh, 
disturbing. Disturbing on many levels. And it actually instituted a lot of controls about what you can actually do with human subjects. Because the people who were the teachers in this were put through a lot of stress and, and not necessarily knowing what was going on. So, but it also it gave some really interesting food for thought. So this was on Gabriel's mind. And, you know, in 1980, when they would do this song in a much heavier version... Like he, I think I saw an interview where he said he, he really enjoyed getting people to sing along to "We Do What We're Told." <laughs> so, you know, this and this is a much more laid back version of this. Some of those versions from 1980 are pretty heavy and pretty loud. So, but you know, it's an interesting song because of that. There's not a lot of songs about psychological experiments or hogweeds, and Gabriel, and Gabriel has been involved with both of them. So. So that that's the might lesson for the day. <laughs> I, was, I was a psych major in college, so yes, so yes, there will be a quiz later I, I on. Took notes. Yes, very so. good. So it's it's interesting. Read up. There's yeah. there is actual documentary footage of some of these teachers going I'm through this. Me, really? Yes, uh, it's kind of disturbing to watch because you can see the stress that these people oh, are yeah. going through, but they still do it. Yeah. So it's. It's interesting. But then Ashton Kutcher comes out, there, he says, you always punt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it does kind of ruin the psychological experiment wow. part of it. So, But back to the song. It's a good song. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of my favorites, no. but it's certainly, uh, it has its place on the album. Yeah. I don't consider this a song. It's just like a... It's a vignette. It's a vignette. It's a... meditation? A meditation. Yeah. I agree with you. I put this as a picture in that category also. Yeah, absolutely. But the bottom line here is that this is what you get when you want Peter Gabriel. You buy a Peter Gabriel album, he wants to explore these kind of things. It's part of the world of Mr. G. Yeah. It comes part and parcel with Peter Gabriel. Indeed it does. It's, it's it's interesting too that you think about the fourth album that the next to last song was Wallflower and then Kiss of Life a very big up song is there and this album you had the very big up song is second to last and then this very moody thing is the, is the last almost a reverse of the fourth album that's part and parcel of being a Peter Gabriel fan <laughs> are we done now almost we got two next. more songs right. <laughs> the next track is this is the picture excellent birds Yeah. 
watching the snow fall. I'm looking out. So even live, whenever they played it live, I was like, oh, this is a picture. I like it. I was gonna say that, that to me on the So Reunion tour, that was the highlight. That yeah. to me was the best part because I think it surprised okay. me because I think on the album, it, it, again, it, it is more of a vignette. It's a, yeah. it's just, it's just seems like Laurie Anderson and Pierre Gable just got in a room was like, let's just free ball this one. <laughs> and, basically what they did. Yeah, and, and just let's just say whatever comes to our heads and we'll record it. And it'll be great. And yeah, um, yeah. but uh, in the So Reunion, it. it it was a really nice surprise. It was a performance. It was it a was performance. Nice. It yes. was great. Yes. Um, what did they do? Did I, they did they literally just <laughs> did they just yeah. play it, or yeah. was there some kind of theatrical? Yeah, no, they played it. it. They they all got in a line, like yeah. a straight line together across the stage, and like did the you know their corny choreographed dance. Yes. You know, Manutachi had like a percussion computer oh, thing yeah. that you could do nice the rhythm on. Yeah. But they were all singing. It just sounded, and it was. It was more intimate, I guess, yeah. because, you know, with these big, it was a, in a big arena, yeah. um, you know, they're hiding behind their, their, all the props and the, yeah. and the instruments. This is coming forward and yeah. just, you know, performing. Yeah. It was great. But then, later on, when we saw them the second time on that tour, they did it just like a regular band song, too. Oh, like, Minor okay. yeah, stayed did behind the drum kit and did stuff. So it was, yeah, it was interesting even. I don't yeah. remember, but yeah, like, it was interesting just within the same tour yeah. seeing them do it two very different ways. Yeah. So, I have to say, for me, this is the one song that I've come to like most recently. Okay, it's one of those tracks which I really didn't give an awful lot of time to mm -hmm. until he did the uh, So Anniversary tour. Right, and I came back and I I, I looked at it and I, I I'm a big fan of Laurie Anderson. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if you, if you're not aware. Laurie Anderson had a huge hit in the UK, a number one with uh, Oh Superman back in 1980 okay. or 1979, which is literally just a sample of someone going, ha, 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 ha,
ahead of her time. Sure. Uh, you know, really light years ahead of her time. And to have these two, much in the same way as we were talking with, with, with uh, Kate Bush, yeah. these two people coming together to make this music was yeah. it was I such was say, a he had the two powerhouses yeah. of like yeah. you know Female prog artists. women yeah. i guess yeah. you know Which coming kind in. of went over our heads in the state yeah. yeah like i i whenever i got this because this wasn't on the lp when it came out whenever i whenever i first heard this i i was aware that laurie anderson existed but that was about all. I knew she was kind of avant-garde. That was pretty much all I knew about her. And and so hearing this, I was like, oh, okay, it's it's okay. Like I like its weirdness, but it's <laughs> if it's one of those things that if I had never heard it in my life, I don't think I would miss it. Like that's like I don't. This song doesn't really connect with me emotionally or anything like that. But it's fun. And you can see in the video there the chemistry between Peter Gabriel <laughs> and Laurie Anderson. Like you can mm-hmm. see it instantly. Yeah. I think probably when this came out, it, it might have been one of the weirdest songs I'd yeah. ever heard in my 15 <laughs> years. And I know we talked about how when you're younger, you kind of listen to the music more. And then when you're older, you focus more on the lyrics. I think it was the opposite for this song. I was so focused on the weird lyrics that it kind of went over me. Now I can like lose myself in the way that the music mm-hmm. and the rhythms tie with the words. And that it might not be trying to say something, but like him saying something her echoing it like it's all part of the musical landscape of the song so i'm not a 15 year old who's like put off flying birds excellent birds what does that mean (laughs) now it's just the music where it's a nice little song to end with again it's one not one that i would put on voluntarily but when it's played in the context of the album yeah yeah it was in the album it works if you're in a hostage situation (laughs) so it's a it's a it's a good song i I, I like it there they go and that's i i think i if if i had one word uh, to describe this song for me it's mesmerizing all right it's one of those i get dazzled in the headlights of it you know interesting so now like do you think this would be interesting if it was even longer and just kind of continually hypnotizing. Oh, I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> I, I think you it, like it, how it is. It, so. it got in there and got out in just the right amount okay. of time. Fair right. enough. I think that works. All right. Unlike us on our show. <laughs> we, because, yes. We, our, our next episode will just be us going, ha, for about two hours, so. And we know what we do already. Yes. After we just put that underneath us talking, you know, that will be our number one, finally. So, all right, well, I think we can go on to the conclusion of the album, what used to be First Track of Side 2, In Your Eyes.
This song is perfect. <laughs> Full stop. Amen. And that's Amen. Tabletop Genesis for that's this it. week. Yeah. Now, of all the overplayed songs in the history of overplayed songs, this one absolutely deserves to be overplayed. And I include that with Phil Collins oh, um, wow. as well. This, he, he achieved, this is his greatest achievement okay. in my mind. Peaked, this was it. I mean, he's done some awesome stuff after and some mm. awesome stuff before. I just like the idea of you going, well done. Get out. <laughs> I'm going to retire. That's right. You're, you're, not, you're, you're dead to yeah. me. No, no. no I, that's not what I'm saying. And I will always be wanting more from Gabriel. Yes, but yes. all I'm saying is that he did it. Right. He wrote the perfect song. Okay. I agree. It's a perfect song. I it, absolutely love it. It never, it does not sound old to me at all. I always hear new things in it. Lyrically, because um, it, it means so many different things, so many different ways. Um, the arrangement's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yusendul crushes it. Yeah. 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 I, I remember when it came out, there were some people I was acquainted with who were just like, what's this weird singing at the end of this song? And I was just like, it's something different. Like, I really did not know that he was <laughs> Sendalese or whatever, wherever he was from. And I was just kind of like, it's not, it's joy. It's it's joy right, on yeah. record. Yeah. That's a great you way know? of describing so, it. So do you need to worry about, is it language? Is it not? Whatever. It's it's just joy on tape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's happy. So that's fine. Like so, me yeah. listening to Genesis when I was like 13. I was like, I have no clue what they're saying, but right. I like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, maybe growing up listening to opera that my dad would play. I got oh, used yeah. to hearing la- music that I didn't know the words to. And so... Having somebody vocalize at the end was, you know, just just accepted. You know, Gabriel does a lot of different things. He's this whole here. album well, has been. No, 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 no. We oh. know he does a lot of different things, yeah. but the, the audience that got to know him with this yeah. album yeah. were they bought it because they heard yeah. Sledgehammer and they bought, yeah. or maybe you know the this something you know or big time. Um, so yeah, you're gonna have people yeah. be like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, people I know who's like, oh, Phil Collins, and I tell you know, then they learn he was in Genesis in the 70s mm-hmm. or Brand X, and they're like, oh, oh, he he did that mm-hmm. too, you know, it's just, I, but yeah. I, I agree, perfect song. I like even the extended versions that have kind of the intro verse at the start I do of it. Like that too, um, yeah. I, th- I actually think the perfect version of this song is on the live in Athens. Yeah. Uh, tape. Oh, yeah. Just because, again, there's just so much joy in it that. Is. It is. You cannot, yeah. like, not smile. Yeah. When you the see perfect that. moment of that performance is kind of at the end when kind of the percussion comes down, Gabriel does some yeah. lyrics, and then David Rhodes does this kind of like, yeah. dun, 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 and I'm just like, he still does that arrangement live. But it just never sounds as good as that live right. Athens Again, version. Again, it was because that song was yeah. born in that moment. So yes. you're never going to have that energy, yeah. the same yeah. amount of energy as it was at yeah. the time of the release. So, it's just so good. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I think fresh. didn't originally he wanted the longer version <laughs> yeah, on, the, on album, the album. But oh, either for time or I something, they, just, they yeah. just put this version on. Because it didn't fit on the vinyl. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because it was a long album. So, But it is, it is a perfect song. And I always wonder how many other musicians, when this came out, it was like... like I wish, yeah. I, wish, I wish I had written that. Well, there have been yeah. so many covers of this, too, and yeah. some good yeah. covers of this. I've, I honestly forget the artist's name, but there's like 
an acoustic guitar Jeffrey one. Gaines does a good that, cover. Okay. I think that's him. He yeah. does a good cover in your I eyes. remember hearing in the mid-90s, probably, mm-hmm. and I was just like, this is really good. It's And it's doing it with a totally different arrangement of it. And I was just like, oh, this is in your eyes. I didn't quite There's actually um, a jazz trio that plays um, at the brewery down the street from us okay. uh, every every other Sunday. And we go, do a br- we go to their brunch okay. a lot. Crush it. And they do this version of In Your yeah. Eyes. It's like... Jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is. It just is. It's a testament to how well yeah. written this is, yeah. and anybody can pick it up. Whether you know, because it's a jazz band, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Gaines was like a singer songwriter. <laughs> yeah. So like across all different music genres, you could pick this up and you yeah. know do something really cool with it. Yeah, it's great, and um, I think the the backing vocalist at the end. It's besides Yusu and Door. Mm-hmm. There's also Jim Kerr from Simple Minds oh, is yeah. in there. I think Michael Bean, who was in this uh, uh, band called The Call, which I think was bigger in the UK than over here, uh, was was one of those people. And so there's a lot of, like, it, it really worked. And I'm so glad it didn't get overproduced either. Yeah. And, and it's it's a song that's stood the test of time. So, you know. It's, it, it's a crowd. I mean, yeah. anytime you hear the... And you know it's coming, and yeah. here does that intro. The crowd is just like in heaven, and they sing along at the end. It's a happy I think song. Yeah. I think everybody has their memories of this song when mm-hmm. they first heard it. Whether it was you were in love with the movie Say Anything, or maybe you put it on a mixtape for a girl. <laughs> Can you listen friend. to this? This is my mixtape. Oh, that's Elisa Vega. Peter Gabriel said it perfectly, so I just can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a unifying song in concert yeah. for everybody, whether you're a casual Gabriel fan mm-hmm. or a longtime fan. When this song comes on, it's like everyone is one in the audience, right. one yeah. with the performers. It's a song about love, you know, love of your your spouse or mm-hmm. your your parents, your friends, your mm-hmm. you know your community. It just works on all different levels. I agree with. Everything. I was like, you're being. You're, I was like, honey, you're being too quiet. I'm doing research about this song. I agree with everything you say, except for one thing, and it's when he does it live. It's the Peter Gabriel dancing. Oh, the dancing is horrible. He, it's I mean, so I'm not, I'm not. He does look like he's just taking a rabies shot to the ass. When... He's like, he's like my dad dancing at a wedding. My dad will never listen to this, so I can say this. And it's like, oh my god, you put your hand over your eyes and you're like. Um, but sit down. the thing is, is that it's you know, in the purest sense of the word, you know, you know, you should dance like no one's watching. And he, but we're watching. <laughs> when we went to Coney Island to see the Sting Peter Gabriel show. The people next to us left after like three songs, which was weird. So I think yeah. during this song, we were doing the little sidestep like Gabriel <laughs> dance thing because it's, it's it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, it's it's not high quality <laughs> dance moves. But the bottom but... line here is, is that it's as you say, it's that moment where you feel alive doing yeah. it, and it it's doesn't... a childlike joy. Yeah. So yeah. you're gonna dance like a yeah. child, which is also yes. oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you're not you can't control your limbs very I mean, there, well. There are not many moments <laughs> yeah. during a Peter Gabriel show where there's pure joy. Yeah, being, you know, right. you're not gonna dance like this to rhythm of the heat. No, or, or, or Mercy Beach Street, or Mercy Street, or, <laughs> or Red Rain. I don't or, remember, yeah. or, yeah, or pretty yeah. much everything. When did Peter Gabriel do that? Cool dance. I mean, he's not a good dancer, right? Every uh, dance he's done is a cool dance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line here is that when you consider sort okay. of like 
the, the, the totality of, of, of yeah. you know, of, of the song. Yeah. That's one of those things. I'm only mentioning it in yeah. jest, you know. Yes, we have really we have to have that. some critical distance yeah. for this song. There's one other thing I was going to make mention because this song features Yusundor. Um, it, it's worth really mentioning if you if you if you if you've got any kind of uh, of interest in Yusundor's music, mm-hmm. there is a, a, a an album from the '80s called The Lion, which is his solo album. Okay. But that album is amazing and if you want an extension of the kind of feel that you get on so go check out the line because it's a very very similar not sounding album but it has that kind of feel to it especially sort of like some of the more sort of like mercy street kind of uh, stuff but it's got some great stuff on it well worth it the lion do we have anything else to say about this excellent song there is a line that I really like. The resolution of all the fruitless searches in your eyes. Yeah. yeah. The lyrics are, yeah. It's like, it's, it's perfect. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. You got it right. So do you like it better at the end of the album or as the start of side two? I never knew it um, as the end of the album. Okay. So right. I bought, so when I got the album, it was a cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got the CD, and I think it was still it was in the middle. A, earlier one, yeah, so sure. I, 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 you know. Okay, so you haven't gotten any of the reissues that put it at the end, or no? Anything, and so. I'm, okay. you know, I know we, I'm, I probably would like it in in the middle because I like I like the how it ends, how it ends. I mean, sure. it's just also all I know. So right. no, okay, I was just curious about. That. Just out of interest, do you want to let people know why it was moved around? Because I think there were some technical yeah. issues as to why it was. I mean, yeah, this is the, the yeah this. Gabriel says that he always wanted this to end the album. Uh, now, is this kind of the equivalent of George Lucas revisionist type of Darth Vader was always Luke's father and mm-hmm. Luke and Leia were always brother and sister? Who knows? But he said that it was because of the bass in the song. It couldn't be at the end of the album because the, 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 the grooves would be yeah. too close to really be able to, uh, to have the bass be replicated properly so it opened up the the album in side two instead and i think that you know i don't remember ever at the time hearing him say like oh i really would have liked to put in your eyes at the end of the album but maybe that's not something that would have come up in interviews at the time or it's like probably didn't give a shit it was like it was like yeah uh, if i had a preference yeah Yeah. i want it the end this is how i'd arrange my album they go well you can't because it won't fit on it and he's like okay yeah I think fans make a bigger deal of stuff like this than it really was. I I, I believe Peter. I'm going to go on Peter's side. Yeah, all right. Well, people always (laughs) want to know what the original intent of the artist was. Well, I think think he's, when you think about him, he's very particular. And like Phil, like he's got a way that the album is going to be opened up Mm -hmm. and flow. And I think it it does sound better as a closer to me. I mean, I don't, I never got one of the reissues on the Mm -hmm. way down here. I just listened to the old CD, which I bought probably in the late 80s. And after that voice again, I fast forward to Mercy Street. Okay. At the very end, I go back and listen to In Your Eyes. So now I like that running order better. Okay. Right. I think it would totally work as an album ender, but yeah. oh, I... it definitely does, you know. yeah. And that's, yeah, I think that it's, it's just interesting to kind of, you know, some people like kind of, Artists are, 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 I'll say, are okay with artists, are okay with artists rejiggering their creative output. And some people are like, nope, this is how it was when it first came out. We should not remix stuff. We should not do anything. This is what the artist's intent was at the moment. 
And so some people get tied up in knots about that. Well, you know, we live in a world of new coke, for God's sake. You know, so it's it, I, let's let's just. I I personally think that whatever works for you really is is the way it should be. Then in that case, so that brings us to the end of the album. There were a couple B sides and laterally released tracks from from this album. Courage, Sagrada, Don't Break This Rhythm, uh, Curtains were the four that I was aware of. Curtains I really like as a track. That was the B side to Big Time. I had yeah. it on the twelve inch. I used to play that constantly, right. and it's one of those ones which is very ambient, ambient okay. like across the river. Yeah. I don't know any of this. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, they're, I totally get why they are not on the yeah. album. Yeah. Uh, my just quick notes were that Courage, I thought, wouldn't have been out of place on Invisible Touch. It sounded very much of that kind of same, you know, upbeat, poppy type of thing. Sagrada was more of a demo with a bit of melody from In Your Eyes in there, so it almost really wasn't a complete song. Don't Break This Rhythm is on a couple different compilations. It's it's a fine song, but it doesn't need to be on the album. I and think it found its way into a B-side. I can't remember which one it was. One of the 12-inch B-sides, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But I can't, be, I can't remember which right. one it was because I'm not Mike Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been the Sledgehammer one. Maybe it I was, think because yeah. that's, that was the only... 12 inch I had well you'll see my poll later (laughs) (laughs) well we actually are at the time where we talk about our own favorite tracks on this so who would like to say their favorite so track first mine is in your eyes big shock all right (laughs) mercy street mercy street in your eyes you remembering what songs are on Yeah, the I know. It's like, what did I vote for? I, I might have voted for In Your Eyes, but it is always a tie between In Your Eyes and Red Rain for very different reasons. Yeah, uh, Red, um, Rain, yeah. Red Rain was a favorite for a long time yeah. for me. So the opener and the closer of the album for me. It's yeah. And I, uh, today I will say In Your Eyes okay. because I'm on tape. <laughs> I will go with Red Rain. Aha! Yeah. Red Rain. It's a nice spread. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Very good. So let's talk about the poll. Tom shows you his poll. All right. Well, it'd be interesting to see what, uh, as we get closer to the top, but I think we could probably all kind of guess what the... What the... <laughs> we get closer to the top of the Interesting indeed. <laughs> is it, is it, is it you... anywhere near your fruitcage? <laughs> <laughs> well, the last two tracks, getting 1% and 3%, uh, we do what we're told as the last track. Which, uh, yeah, I guess I could I see did, I, yeah. yeah. And uh, eighth place was This Is The Picture, Excellent Bird. So I okay. could kind of figure those yeah. two would you be the Compared last. to what else is on the album, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right. And even above that, at number seven, is the song that most people did not like here. Uh, Don't Give Up? No. Hear no. that voice again. Oh, that voice, voice again. again. Oh, right. That only got Crying 3%. shame. <laughs> Everybody listen to it again. Maybe try it on headphones. Maybe maybe put maybe put on your leg warmers. <laughs> maybe just move on and you know if the song hasn't connected with you yet, it's probably not gonna connect with you now. Just, just play it, but just just don't pay attention to like the lyrics or the music. Happening <laughs> <laughs> in the background. Yes. Yeah. Number six place, surprisingly not even in the top three. Sledgehammer. 
Really? I think people are tired of that one. That's, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, I can see it not being people's yeah. Yeah, and, and it not being people's favorite yeah. on this album. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And I think in tandem with that, number five was Big Time. Big time. So that's yeah. those two are two very solid. I'm actually surprised that Big Time is higher than Sledgehammer, though. Probably this fatigue because even big time you you did you weren't hit over the head with yeah. it. No it wasn't as big of as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Number four, don't give up. That I think. Oh, I'm thinking of a different song. <laughs> <laughs> that I I I think probably the same reasons. Yeah. Like I figured that might be higher in the heads of Genesis fans, but I think for the don't same reasons. Up. Yeah. Don't yeah. give up. But. Maybe not. That only got 10% of the vote. Okay. Now, we're still up, pretty low percentages, still percentages though. Yeah. yeah. But now we're getting up to the top three, which yeah. number three was Red Rain with 19%, okay. which okay. I, I could see. Okay. Yeah. Top three, Absolutely. Red Rain. That's a, that's a bronze medal song. <laughs> number two, and I think it's only not number one because of the also fatigue factor, is In Your Eyes. Oh, number two. Okay. That got 22% of the vote. Okay. And with the highest, 25% was Mercy Street. Really? I think that was like a like a fine wine of songs. I was gonna say aged very well between '86 and thirty-two years later. Our our listeners are very sophisticated. (laughs) So, Stacy, where would you rank that voice again in the the songs on the album? Like, is it top three for you, or is it more middle? Like, it's not the bottom, obviously, but is it more in the middle? Yeah. So go in your eyes. Okay. Red rain. Okay. Voice again. Really? Really? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, right. More so at... now that you guys hate it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that just moved up three spaces. Absolutely. So this is the shipwrecked of your podcast. Oh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For me, <laughs> at number seven, that's kind of where it belongs. Yeah. I really like it, but the other songs I do like better than that. I would, yeah, I would actually rank both. We do what we're told. Maybe not excellent birds. It's higher than that voice again, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is. Interesting. This has been fascinating to hear talk about this album. So, so, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> with that being said, I'm Mike Lord. I'm Ellie. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. And this is Tom doing great. <laughs> I'm I'm joyful. Yes, a way to end this podcast. So, um, thank you for listening. We will be back with another episode talking about Genesis or related solo career in the near future. We thank you for listening, and we will see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have our shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis. And you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes.
Sí.